Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Are we back live? Good. Uh, if you're watching live, I'm, I'm sorry. We had some kind of copyright. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to blame it on Cody. It's Cody's fault that the live stream went down. No, uh, sorry that, that you had an interruption there. And uh, I'm not sure when it went down, but we apologize. Hopefully you'll find this stream and, and be able to jump back on. But uh, sounds like we're back on. Miss Eileen's got it right there. All right. <laughs> All right, let's silence our phones and, and dig in. We're going to... We're going to hit it hard today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and it's nice going back to 9 and 11 because I had like a run through and saw where, where the rabbit trails went, and so we'll keep it, keep it uh, between the lines here this morning, and maybe we'll, we'll get through um, the whole chapter. But um, we're really highlighting chapter 4 and working through that. Uh, it's a lot to cover, but I think that uh, doing it this way, we can kind of see Paul biting off themes and, and continuing to build on this thought. So if, if this is your first message uh, on Romans, I would uh, invite you to go back and listen to the others on our YouTube channel or podcast. We're pretty much on, on any platform and you can go back and fill in the blanks. But where we are currently is Paul is addressing uh, to the house, church, house churches at Rome. We believe that it's uh, four or five house churches, probably uh, 35, 40 people, small groups of believers, and it's a mixed bag. You have uh, the Jews who are Torah-abiding Jews and the Gentiles. And among these two groups of people, you have a group of folks that uh, really, you know, they've grown up in this. It's, they, they see it a certain way. They see Scripture a certain way. And they, uh, they don't bend easily. And more than them not bending, they want to bend everybody else, a.k.a. the new believers, the Gentiles. Thanks, babe. Uh, they want to bend them to being Torah-abiding uh, Jesus followers as well. And so what Paul is doing is he is addressing in Romans, a part of the issue is he's saying to those of you that have, have grown up, you know, you're, you're in the Jewish culture, abiding by Torah, you shouldn't force that onto non-Torah abiding Gentiles. You that are circumcised, you're going to hear this language a lot, shouldn't tell uncircumcised people that they need to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. It's fine for you to continue in following the law. It's fine for you to continue uh, expressing your faith in that way. Paul didn't see it as something that uh, they had to stop, but it was not something that he felt like was necessary that they should force on others. And for me, looking at this, coming from my context of the background that I've been in, uh, it's amazing how this still goes on today. Everybody thinks their church and their way is the only way, and it's the best way, and it's, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to do it my way. Uh, how many have experienced that in their lifetimes? Yeah. It's still happening. Excuse me while I pause. Oh, that's really good. Everybody's just watching Kyle. Amen. I like that shirt. That's a nice shirt, Kyle. Thank you for your sound ministry. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so applicable even today to kind of consider and think about, like think about how many denominations there are. And, and, I, I, and I'm not trying to like 
I'm not trying to say I agree with everyone, right? If I, if I was a Torah-abiding Jew, I wouldn't agree with the Gentiles' lifestyle, right, in this book. I'd say, I, you probably shouldn't eat that. And they're probably right. There are a lot of things that I eat that I probably shouldn't eat. Would you agree? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many just have a sugar addiction? You're just going to come out of the closet. You're just going to say it right now. I almost said come out of the closet. <laughs> You're coming out of the closet and tell me you have a sugar addiction. Anybody? Anybody have a sugar addiction? I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, I find myself at midnight often taking that trip down to the refrigerator <laughs> or the freezer even better, you know, see what's in there. My wife made some homemade cookies this week. And then she put ice cream in the middle and put those things in there. And I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. They're so good. Cookie dough ice cream in the middle of two homemade chocolate chip cookies, Steve. Come on, that's grounds for praise right there. That's praiseworthy. <laughs> I felt so much closer to the Lord eating that. I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. But um, there's none left. None. No, not one. Just kidding. There's one left. Whoever's the first one there at 3 o'clock can, can eat the last ice cream sandwich. It's coming to you, Miss Sandy. But um, anyway, it, it's, it's just funny to see the same type things. Like, yeah, it's been 2,000 years, but we're the same. We're people. And we think our way is the best way. We think that our church, our religion, and I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't be a part of a local church. And you shouldn't have a perspective. You should, right? And we're going to see that. Paul is going to, to tease that out. Um, but he's also saying, look, you shouldn't pick on or look down on others who are different than you. And so I want that mentality here. He doesn't make excuse for sin. He doesn't condone sin. But without condoning sin, there is a balance. There is a place in the middle where we belong, where we let the gospel speak for itself, the truth speak for itself. We are very accepting of other people without necessarily approving of their lifestyles. Uh, and, and so uh, you're going to find... That, that there's a, a shift here in, in the terminology. It's the same thing Paul's been saying, but it's going to become clearer that what Paul is defining as righteousness, what Paul is defining through a term called justification, is going to bring clarity to what, what good things we actually do. And, and so the fine line, right, is you have some people that are doing good, uh, in a way and in a context, their Jewish faith, and, and you still see Jewish brothers and sisters, you know, if you go to Pikesville, you'd see a bunch of it, right? Uh, operating in a mode that, of the folks that literally he's speaking to right here. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, I, I want to, to show you this transition that he's trying to show us, that us doing the work of God, us living out this lifestyle, this thing of righteousness is not quite what we think it is. And, and I really, I think that if we can grasp some of the concepts, and if it takes two weeks, it takes two weeks in this chapter. I'm okay with that. But um, I really want us to think and consider and ponder when you do something that is good, that is right, and you're a believer, who's doing that? What is that good thing that's happening in your life? Uh, because if the world, if people that did not know the Lord or uh, non-Jesus followers, I feel like if they were to see from us something that was not us, they would be more inclined to receive it as well. But Christians, we, we have a, a tendency, and, and I'm speaking from myself doing this, we have a tendency of projecting who we are in Jesus instead of just pro projecting Jesus. We have a tendency of saying, 
this is what it looks like at our church and this is how we are and this is how we behave instead of just showing them who Jesus is. And, and one is good and the other is bad. One leads to a room full of diversity and different types of people and the other is just a church full of people that look and act the same. We're not about behavior modification here. We're about life transformation. All right, so we're going to see some of that. We're going to see some of these doctrines. When I say justification by faith, when, when we define this term justification, these are theological terms that you should become familiar with, uh, that you should receive today, and, and, and really begin to apply them to your life. So jumping in here, and this is all in the program, um, but we're, we're going to start in Romans chapter 4, but I've, I jotted down a little excerpt from the Faith Life Study Bible. It says this, Paul continues his discussion of justification by faith alone with an appeal to Abraham, and there's a reason. Remember, Torah-abiding Jews versus non-Torah-abiding Gentiles. Why would Paul talk about Abraham? Does anybody know? He was their father. He was the father of their religion, so to speak. If I can go so far as to say religion, you know what I mean. Uh, it's like someone saying, let me tell you something about your grandfather. Immediately, you have this sense of protection. That's my grandfather. You're going to talk bad about my grandfather? That, watch what you say. I can talk bad about my grandfather, but you can't talk bad about my grandfather. We're going we're to have words. We're going we're gonna to exchange some things here. <laughs> and they might not be so kind, right? So Paul, and remember, Paul was a Torah-abiding Jew. So he could say it. So when he introduces this character named Abraham, Father Abraham as we know him, the main patriarch of the, you know, the Jews and their nation, the father of many nations, as God said, the Abrahamic covenant that was given right in the Old Testament, what he's saying is, is I'm challenging your belief at its core. I'm challenging what you think and how you're operating at its very foundation. And that's scary for them. Then not only is he going to talk about Abraham, he's going to talk about King David, the beloved King David, the man after God's own heart. He's going to talk about him too. So just in case you think Abraham was an isolated incident, this verse that Paul's going to use, Paul quotes the Old Testament all through the book of Romans. And just in case you think that was enough, he goes for the king. And he says, not only is your father, this applies to him, but he also applies to your king, your leader, who you think uh, really carried the torch, who was the greatest king in all of Israel, they would say, King David, right? Who's the greatest president of the United States? Whatever comes to your mind, whatever side of the aisle you're on, I'm not here to get into politics. Whoever that is for you, that was King David for them. The greatest one. <laughs> Jose laughs. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's dive in here, okay? Verse number one, uh, Romans chapter four, verse number one. Probably not going to make it through this whole message. I'm going to try. We still have, we have a baptism today. I'm really excited about it. I'm pumped. Amen. Verse number one. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, see what he's doing, according to the flesh, has found? <laughs> if Abraham was justified by works, justified, there's that term, justified. The Greek word itikeo comes from translating was justified. It means this. It means was declared righteous. It refers to being put in right relationship with someone. So Paul was saying if Abraham was justified or if Abraham was put in a right relationship with God by works, 
he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? He's going to use their own Torah against them. For what does it say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. And everybody who worked 40 hours this week plus would say that is true. When your employer acts like they're giving you a gift right at the end of the week, you're like, please, honey, I don't work my 40 plus hours, right? What's the difference? One, it's, it's not a gift. This isn't mommy and daddy giving you something, and some employers, that's how they treat it. It's like you feel like, they feel like it's Christmas every week, them giving you their paycheck, right? You know, you should look at this as a gift, right? Paul's saying, if we could earn our righteousness, it's not a gift, it's a job. Your relationship with God is not him at the end of the week paying you for your good works, It's him at the end of your life giving you a good gift, his righteousness. Following me? Continue here, verse number four, that one who works, pay his credit as a gift, but as something owed. Verse number five, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him, watch this, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Okay, so his first example is Abraham. Here's the Old Testament foundation. Here's the verse Paul is quoting. You ready? Genesis chapter 15, verse number six. It says this. I'm sorry, Bill. I'm bouncing all over. He's trying to follow me with these scriptures. (laughs) Sorry. Genesis chapter 15, verse six. It says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as what? As righteousness. Abram, before his name was changed, Even before the promise was given, the Lord blessed him, gave him his righteousness according to Abraham's what? Abraham, what's the second word? Come on now, what's the second word? Turn to your neighbor and say, I believe. believe. (laughs) Abraham believed. Not Abraham was uh, receiving of the, the law of what the Lord wanted him to do. Not Abraham was circumcised and then received the righteousness of God. Because eventually that's what happens. Eventually Abraham and all those that are a part of his household are circumcised. And they transition into this nation that God will, 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 will uh, found through his family, through Isaac, through Jacob, through uh, his sons, through Joseph, the posterity in Egypt. And then when there is a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, eventually Moses, right, will lead them out of Egypt. So this, he's the patriarch. He's the man. And Paul says, hey guys, um... In Genesis, right here, Genesis chapter 15, verse number six, it says, Abraham believed. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's the first point today. Number one, we need to see that Abraham was chosen by God before he was able to perform it. The the first thing, the first principle here that Paul is trying to say is, listen, I, I want you to see that Abraham was chosen by God before Abraham was doing good works. Why is that? Because Abraham believed. Abraham had faith. So Paul uses the Old Testament foundation to say, uh, it says in the book that Abraham believed and God gave him his righteousness. So this is like uh, a few, uh, some doctrines here at work. Number one is the doctrine of 
justification by faith. So we believe that this, this is a legal term, right? When you think about justification, what Paul is, is using, he's using like courtroom uh, analogies. And so basically, if we were to stand trial for a crime that was committed, we would be under the penalty of the law. And if we were served our sentence, it would be death and hell, right? It would be, uh, and if you believe hell is eternal or it's just annihilation apart from the Lord, however you view that, the point is, is you sin, you do wrong, and there's a price that has to be paid. Romans 6, uh, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Death is, is in this world. Have you seen it? Has it been a part of our lives? Yes. Why? Paul says that it's because of the law of sin and death. We experience death every day. We see it. It's around us. That is a, a legal uh, term that Paul is saying, you've, you've done wrong and you deserve to pay uh, for that crime. But what, what's happening here is by faith, we believe in who Jesus is. So what did Jesus do? Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet in our place where we were condemned, we, we had our sentence over our head of death, right, for what we have done. Look, if you, if you don't think sin exists in the world, or if you don't think you're born into this world a sinner, just come hang out at my house for a little while. My four children will prove it. Little hellions. <laughs> Look, you don't have to teach a kid to sin. And if you don't have children, and I, I don't expect you to get this off the get, but you don't have to teach them. They know how to lie all on their own. It is a fault fixed within them. Romans 5.12, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into this world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You're two imperfect people, husband and wife, coming together and you make an imperfect person. Sin passes along. The law, Paul uses this term. The law, the legal term, the law of sin reigns in our mortal body. And so when we are faced, the, the Lord, he is righteous. He is. It's who he is. The Lord is good. If God ceases to judge sin, if he ceases to be righteous, he ceases to be God. If, if sin is in his presence, he will consume it. It will be consumed. And we see this in the Old Covenant. The layers of the tabernacle to keep the presence of God from the sinners. Uh, levels of sacrifice, levels of veils. Why? Because when the presence of God comes, it consumes that which is not good. And so when we, when we see, right, and, and there's a lot, and I'm just kind of like touching on the, the high points here, but what we see is that the covenant, the law, tells us where we fall short. But God, love that verse, Romans 5, 8, he came, he died. Jesus was perfect, the perfect spotless lamb, right, that takes away the sins of the world. Why is that? Because he who had no sin. He, he didn't bear the weight. Jesus didn't have to stand trial as a man for what he did wrong because he was sinless. That's why it's important to believe that it was a miraculous birth. He was born of a virgin to separate him from a man's bloodline, which means he would have been born a what? A sinner. And now we start connecting the dots that he had a pure line once 
pure bloodline once again. That's why Christians, uh, uh, Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, they call him the second Adam. He has the second chance to live perfect, and he did. Tempted as we are tempted, never sinned, not once. So therefore, when he chose to endure the pain of death, the Bible says that it pleased him to bruise him. Well, that's strange and bizarre. No, it was an agreement that God had. He became flesh. He dwelt among us in the form of a servant, the form of a son. Jesus bore our penalty. And so God, the righteous judge, when Jesus died for our sin, he declares right him guilty on our behalf. He stood in our place and he bore the wrath of God. He bore the just weight, the just measure that should fall on a sinner. Jesus bore it all on the cross, but yet he was still God. Yet he was still perfect. And so uh, death, the power of death that it could hold someone, the power of death is sin. That's the, the sting of death, Paul said. But when sin was eradicated, when death then was defeated, it could no longer hold him. And Jesus uh, busted out of the grave the third day. With the power and holding the keys of sin and of death saying, now I uh, declare them righteous. Uh, where the accuser of the brethren, Satan, would look at you and he would say, do you understand you're not perfect? Do you understand you're standing trial? Do you understand you can't, you have no power over me because of the sin that's in your life? Here's what God says. Legally, I'm declaring them righteous. And, and here's how he does that. Not only does he take your sin upon himself, watch this, he gives you his righteousness. And this is the part that a lot of us miss. In the transaction, the legal transaction of salvation, deliverance, he doesn't deliver you over to something neutral. He doesn't wipe the slate clean and give you a second chance. He recreates you into his image and makes you a new image bearer. And he does that by saying, here is my righteousness. Watch this. I'm going to clothe you in it. Similar to the prodigal son. When the young son goes and, and wastes his life in riotous living, what happens is when he comes back and the father sees him, he what? He puts the ring on him. He puts the coat on him. What is this saying? You're not just coming back as a servant. You're not just coming back neutral. You're not just coming back as someone who will serve me. You're coming back to be reinstated as my son. He's saying, you have my full name. And this goes back to us being name bearers. The, the covenant that he had with Israel that they broke because of their sin. Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to make sure this covenant is never broken again. The new covenant, the new testament of my blood is when you claim, when you have belief in me, I cover you with who I am. This is why it's so stupid when we think we're good. This is why it's so dumb when we think we can live good lives to go to heaven. It's a slap in the face. It's saying, get that coat off me, Jesus. Take your good works and get that thing off me. I'm good enough. Haven't you seen the shirt that I put on? Haven't you seen how I handle problems? Haven't you seen how good I am in my marriage relationship? Uh, no, I declared you righteous. I declared, justification is this. I declared you just as if you'd never sinned. 
because Jesus took your penalty from you and you went free. It's literally the criminal in the world walking into the house going, I don't deserve any of this. I literally should have been on death row and I got the keys to the most expensive kingdom on the planet. I got a Ferrari out front. We went to, uh, we were at uh, Friday morning, we went and got coffee with the baby. Kids were in school for a couple hours and there was a navy blue Ferrari and a silver Ferrari parked outside of Burger Fi. I was like, I was like, I had my phone. I was taking selfies with it, pointing at the emblem. Just kidding, I wasn't. I wanted to, but I maintained my composure. And then they started the engine, Jose. I was like, son, sweet. Now I'm being dumb, but look, the, the point is, is when you consider what all Jesus gave you, he gave you everything. When he reinstated you as a son, he bore your payment of your sin, and gave you his righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as what? That's the transaction. So when you have Torah-abiding Jew going, they need to be circumcised, they need to do it this way, they need to live this way, Paul is like, you're missing the point. Abraham got the full weight of God's righteousness once he had faith. Before you believe, I'm sorry, before you live your life, before you got 10, 20 years of experience in church, before you become uh, somebody who thinks it's old hat, before that happens, you get all the weight of your sonship in Jesus. The moment you believe by faith, follow me church, the moment you believe by faith, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's not waiting for you to work your way to it. He gives you everything. Don't miss this. But that's not the only example here. What else does he do? He brings David into it. Look at verse number six. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart, not only did Abraham believe and was given everything, watch this, David wrote this in Psalms. What he's quoting here in seven and eight is the book of Psalms. I'm gonna find it here. Psalms 32, verse one and two, it says this, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge the iniquity in in whose spirit is no deceit. Even David talks about someone being forgiven for something that they shouldn't have been forgiven for. Paul is saying this is not a new concept, Torah abiding Jew. The Old Testament foundation is there. Now, I wanna continue in this here uh, because this is some really good stuff. Go to verse number nine, verse number nine in our text. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then? Was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him, watch this, the father of all who believe but are not circumcised so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith 
our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. So this is Paul literally leveling the playing field. Do you see it? Before Abraham was who you think Abraham is, I forgot to read this. In the, according to the Mishnah, Jewish traditions, the Jewish teachers in the Mishnah claimed that Abraham was faithful in keeping the whole law before the entire law was even officially given to Moses. That was the word among the rabbis. And what is Paul doing? Paul is saying, that's not what? That's not true. Paul is saying, that's a lie, that's a fallacy. Abraham got to where he, he became. Abraham became a friend of God, the Bible says, and he got there because of his faith. He got there because he just had believing loyalty in Yahweh, not because he was so good, not because he could keep the law perfectly, but because he was in relationship with who God was. David considered Israel's greatest king. Paul mentions David to counter the possible objection that God's provision of righteousness was for Abraham alone. It's not just that way. So what we're seeing here, I, I wanna show you a couple things. We're seeing, number one, that we need to see that Abraham was chosen by God before he was able to perform for God. Do you see that? Does anybody see that this morning? How many see that Abraham, I'm trying to paint this picture as clear as I can. Repetition is the key to learning here. Abraham was chosen by God before he was able to perform for God. We need to see that. What, what implication does that have for you and me? <laughs> this is where I get happy. It means that God loves you. No matter what, before you chose God, before you put your believing loyalty in God, and way before you were ever a good Christian, God loves you. God set his affection on you. God is working a work within you and through you. Why? Because he chose you. Some of y'all need to just get this truth and put it in your shirt pocket and take it out four or five times a week. You understand what I'm saying? God chose Abraham. No, but he was a Torah-abiding Jew from the get. It's amazing how the story evolves, isn't it? It's amazing how when Christians are in church 10, 15 years, how we become the object of our faith. How we become really good at what we do. How we become faithful witnesses. How we become good at, at, at portraying Jesus to people instead of just portraying Jesus. We become professional Christians, and that's what Paul was fighting against. The point is this. Abraham was chosen before he was a good dude. His, the credit that happened to his account was because of his faith, but it was God's righteousness that he was given to Abraham. Therefore, Abraham should never take credit of his good things because if Abraham understands justification, he sees that he was declared righteous and handed everything from God. Legal term, we're found wanting, we're found under the yoke, under the bondage of our sin, and God, the glorious Savior, comes along and declares us innocent. Why? With his righteousness. That's why religion sucks. That's why systems where people think they can live good and do good things to earn and merit heaven, it's not good. It's confusing at best. And people, uh, look, you're not, you're not helping anybody because none of us are perfect. But it's easy for us to say, hey, guess what? Anything good that comes out of me, it's him. That's, a accurate, biblical, that's accurate biblical theology. What's not accurate, man, the Lord's made me into such a good person. 
you're walking a fine line of error there. Fine line of error. He's changed my life. I get that. Watch it. Careful. His righteousness has changed my life. What he gave me at salvation when I passed from death to life, I'm just living on his dime, spiritually speaking. Everything that I am that's good. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now are we seeing the picture. The legal term, Paul saw himself as the chiefest of criminals walking free. Do you see it? We see it in Abraham. We see it in David in the Psalms. Do I have time? I have time. Let's finish this. Go to verse 13. This is so good. I'm about to blow your mind with Romans chapter four. Look at verse 13. You ready? For the promise to Abraham. Say promise. promise. Turn to your neighbor and say, I promise. I promise. Mm. Do you really though? Do you mean it? <laughs> Look at verse 13. Understand that the first thing that we see, we need to see that Abraham was chosen by God. What do we need to see? Abraham was what? Chosen. chosen. Let's go to number two. Look at verse 13. For the promise, oh, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, Abraham, Abraham believed God and inherited land. You believe God and inherit Jesus' righteousness. The true sign. Some of y'all, that'll hit you next week. It's okay. Verse 14, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise, say promise, promise. nullified because the law produces wrath. Why is that? When we look at ourselves up against the 10 commandments and we know there was more than 10, does anybody keep them perfectly? No, that's the law produces judgment. That's the point. Continue. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's like people saying ignorance is bliss, la, 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 right? Nobody wants to be accountable today. Look at verse 16. This is why the promise, say the promise. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants. Watch this. Not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. So, this is all nations partaking. He is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom we believed, the one who gives life to the dead. Don't miss that. Remember Romans 1.16, the power of the gospel, right, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're seeing a gospel theme in Abraham's life. Watch what Paul does. I love this. In the presence of God in whom we believed, he gives life to the dead, calls things into existence that do not what? <laughs> Verse 18. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. We're, we're now, Paul is now connecting us with Abraham. Verse 19. He did not weaken in what? He didn't weaken in what? When he considered his own body to be already dead, when he was past the promise. Since he was about a hundred years old, he also, the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver in unbelief of God's what? Of God's what? Say promise. 
He didn't waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his what? Faith and gave glory and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for what? Righteousness. Now it was credited to him, was not written, oh my goodness, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for who? What? But also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our what? Oh my goodness. Here's what I'm going to help you with real quick. This is, the, this is the crux of the message. Number two, we need to feel that Abraham was past the place of promise, but still chose faith. Here's the story. Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations, but didn't have a kid till he was over 100. What happens, right here, what happens when God gives you a promise, but you get past the point of promise? What happens when God reveals to you what he wants to do in your life, but then takes the ability to do it from you? How many of us feel that way sometimes? We're like, man, I know what God wants me to do, but I just can't do it. Guess what? You're not alone. That's where God wants to work. You see, if this is by faith, that's what it is. And Paul is reiterating. Paul is saying, let me show you something. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, that produces gospel. That's every nation. Every knee will bow of things in heaven and things on the earth. Why? By the name of Jesus. He brings dead things to life. Paul said, I'm going to explain something to you. It's the same God, and he did the same thing in Abraham's life. What? Nuh-uh. Torah-abiding Jews. Nuh-uh. Oh, yeah. Guess what? Abraham was promised to be the father of all the nations. And what did he do? Him and Sarah concocted a plan. He went in into his handmaid, and they screwed the whole thing up. They had their son Ishmael. But God said, no, my plan is through Sarah. My plan is to do it the right way. But Abraham said, but God, she's past the point of having a kid. She's already been through menopause. And you think you're going to... You think you're going to bring a kid in this world through her? You promised this. So God, I have to do here. God, I have to fill in the blanks or you're going to be made a liar. I'm past the point of the promise. You promised to do X and so I have to fulfill it. Every Christian gets to that point in their lives. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Stop. Stop. The very point in which God wants to come into your life and do the work is always past the promise. He gave you a promise for a reason so that he could reveal himself, not reveal how good you are, not reveal how you're able to uh, portray the righteousness of God. God wants to give you the promise, but you gotta wait for it. You gotta wait. I just can't help but think to myself, like, how many times in my life, I mean, Sarah and I, it's been over and over and over again where we're like, that absolutely did not play out the way I thought it was gonna play out. We look back and we go, What are you doing, God? And we would have a season of waiting. And now looking back, I go, oh my goodness, over and over again, the Lord comes through with his promise. He comes through with his promise. But what happens when we take ownership of that righteousness and we feel like we need to make it happen? We mess everything up. We declare ourselves righteous in the moment. And Paul said, that's not justification. 
The whole grounds of you being a Jesus follower are on his righteousness given to you. The whole reason you've got a life to live, a promise to hope for, he believing hope against hope is because of who God is. Look, we need to see that Abraham was chosen before Abraham was good. Number two, we need to feel that Abraham was past the place of promise but still chose faith. Look, this morning, I don't, know, I don't know who it is in this room, but there is someone in this room, maybe online, if, if the stream's still up, there's somebody here that is going, God has passed his promise in my life. This is why I dislike prosperity gospel preachers so much. Because they promise something in return, and it was never about the thing, it was about the God of the thing. Amen. That, that's the problem. The Lord wants to get us past the point of promise so that he can do something supernatural so that the world can see his righteousness and not ours. That's how it works. You're like, but that's super lame. No, it's not. (laughs) That's his design. Look, you're one of two people here today. You're either depressed and anxious because you're past your promise and it shouldn't have been this way, or you're living in your own promise. Both are bad. Both are bad. If you're living in your own created promise today, here or online, I don't care. It's superficial. You're, li- you're living in the matrix. Anybody ever sell that movie? You're eating the steak. You took the wrong pill. It's really just, uh, it's a vision. It's a dream. It's not real. The reality behind the scenes is that only what's done for Christ will last. The reality behind the scenes is that God has given us his righteousness, and that's the only thing that we can portray that makes sense of the promise. And if we're buying the lie from the enemy, look, we all get sometimes consumed with money and power and sex and think about Think about what the enemy is so good at, right? It's better to wait for the promise. It's better when Isaac comes. It's better to do it God's way. Why is our church not filled? Why are churches all across the world not filled? Because Christians are living their own promise instead of living past the promise so that people can see Jesus in them. That's what it is. Number three, we need to know that Abraham's promise is our promise. Son. Paul said it. He said, but also for us, it will be credited to us who believe in him. Look, if you've never had a death to life experience, you can have a death to life experience. Abraham had to get to that place where he finally said, look, I'm going to let go, God. I'm going to let go, and I'm going to let you do what only you can do. Abraham's promise is your promise this morning. But we have to come to grips with ourselves. From a theological perspective, do you think of yourself as somebody who's got the world by the tail? Do you think of yourself as a good person? Scripture tells us the opposite. I'm not trying to bust your your bubble today. Yeah, I kind of am, sorry. (laughs) Nobody's good. Nobody's right. Let me, if you're here listening or or you're in person and you're bearing the weight of you're trying to be a good person to go to whatever afterlife you think is there, that's not how you earn it. Jesus just wants to have relationship with you. Jesus wants to declare you righteous. He wants to pay for your sin debt. He wants to make you a son, a daughter. 
It's just, you can't do it on your own. You can't live that life on, on your own. If you're a believer, if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I've, I trusted him to save me forever ago, but I'm still trying to do this thing on my own power. I still think that I have to be righteous. Um, stop. Just put the coat on that he gave you, his righteousness. Just tell people how good he is. Stop claiming the good things that he's doing. And maybe you'll see a promise fulfilled in your life. Hmm. The last little nugget here I think is interesting. I found this text here. This is one of my, one of my favorites. Matthew 9, 1 through 8, it says, so he got into the boat and crossed over and he came to his own town. This is Jesus' ministry. Just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their what? Uh-huh. Seeing their faith. Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And watch this. What did the Pharisees say? At this point, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. So they said that, you know, like in their minds, and Jesus heard it. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your hearts? I mean, how many would have loved to have been around Jesus? <laughs> They're thinking, who does he think he is for giving sins? <laughs> what a blasphemer. Excuse me? Did I say that? Did that come out? <laughs> Perceiving their thoughts. Jesus says this, for which is easier to say? I love this. He's, Jesus is funny. He said, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Jesus says, hey guys, your sins are forgiven. They're like, what a blasphemer. He thinks he can forgive people's sins. And Jesus is like, hey guys, what's easier? Me to tell them that their sins are forgiven or me to say, hey guys, rise up and walk. Which one's easier, me forgiving their sin or healing their legs that haven't walked since he was born? Hey guy, rise up and walk. And the Bible says he gets up, grabs his bed. Look at the end of it. It says this. So he got up, went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. You see, when we receive the promise, we give glory to God. When the Lord sees our faith, he moves on our faith. When he moves on our faith, we receive the promise and we give glory. That's the cycle. You don't believe me? Look at verse 20 in our text. It says this, and he did not waver in unbelief, talking about Abraham at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to who? To God. That's the cycle. Understand, Jesus literally, it was nothing to Jesus to heal that man. Forgiving us of our sins, healing, it doesn't matter. He is able to perform. He is able to do the work. What are we able to do? And this is for the Christian today. We're able to give praise. Let me, let me ask you this. If you're sitting here wondering, how's my faith? Am I strengthened in my faith? Am I worried that I'm past the promise? You want me to give you an indicator today? Maybe I'm just gonna give you an indicator if, if your faith is a little cold. Here, is it. Here, here it is. How's your praise? How's your praise? You see, if your praise is good, that's a sign that your faith is good. I'm just, I've been waiting on this promise. I've been waiting on God to come through. I've been waiting on this job. I've been waiting on this promotion. I've been waiting on this person to come to Jesus. I've just been waiting on you, God. 
And Jesus said, what are you waiting for? I can heal you or forgive you. I'm working. It's my work. Let me do it in my time. Here's what you need to do. Just give me praise. If we realize that God is as good as God is and that every good thing that we have came from him, we'll remember how important just the breath that we woke up with this morning is. We, we take things for granted. The fact that we're here, the fact that we have relationship, the fact that we're still breathing. Everyone that hath breath should what? Praise the Lord. That's a good indicator this morning. We need to see that Abraham was chosen by God before he was able to perform for God. We need to feel that Abraham was past the place of promise but still chose faith. And we need to know that Abraham's promise is our promise. Let's return the favor and allow our faith to, gl to, gr to glow. That works too. To grow into glory for him. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments. Send us a message and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.